Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. The National PTA's mission is to make every child's potential a reality by engaging and empowering families and communities to advocate for children. Similarly, a school's mission is typically to further our children's education as well as their social and emotional growth. In order to effectively meet these missions, understanding our children's basic needs is critical. Creating and advocating for policies that meet these needs allow our students to excel and grow. Our guest today, Christina Campos, founder of The Impactful Parent, will discuss the children's three basic needs and some ways that we can facilitate meeting those in the school environment. Welcome, Christina. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I have been in education and teacher for over 20 years, had the privilege of teaching every single grade possible from preschool to high school and have a special place in my heart for those middle school kids. I know it's crazy, but it's what I love. And um, after many years in the school system, um, for some personal reasons at home where I felt like I needed to spend a little bit more time with my own four children. I decided to leave the teaching profession and help uh, parents with their school-aged child just to understand them and those rocky waters of the tween and teen years and loving what I do now. And so it's been really great um, kind of doing the, the new shift with the impactful parent. And I still substitute teach actually as much as I can. As we mentioned, we're going to be discussing the three basic needs that every child has. So can we start there? What, what are the three basic needs? Yeah, so we have three basic needs of what I consider um, that really have to be filled if you want a child to be their best self. And they are security, acceptance, and power. But I'll have to explain that so that you, do, <laughs> you don't misunderstand. <laughs> yeah, I think that those words can probably be defined in a number of different ways. So why don't we just start at the top and start with security? Tell us what security means in a child's needs. Yeah. So this is probably the most simple and probably the one that people understand is security. But there are two parts to it. There's that first part, which is really primal of, hey, I'm protected. I am not going to get eaten by a bear when I'm living in the cave, (laughs) you know, back in the, you know, very early years of human humanity, that I'm safe. And then there's the other half of security, which is a little bit more abstract. And this is Uh, the security that they will be loved no matter what, that will you love them through thick and thin? Will you love them if they disagree with you? Will you love them if they're not the perfect straight A student? And they have to have this feeling of security, not only in their home, but also in their school environment. I really believe because we spend so much time in the school environment. I'm Some people would even argue possibly even more time than we do in the home. And so they're both very, very influential. And those are the two needs that are part of security that kids really, really need. With schools, the physical security is something that 
<laughs> we, some schools do really, really well and others fall short, right? Um, some kids feel safe going to their school and others don't, but that is the goal is to have your child feel like they're in a safe space, whether that's a bad matter of, you know, making sure that everybody's inventoried who walks into a building and um, everybody has to sign in, which is new protocol actually within the last 15 years, really um, starting with Columbine. But um, that's a, a physical security that they need. A fall short of that security is there are millions of kids that still go to school scared, whether it's I'm scared I'm going to get beat up by this kid next to me or just you know, whatever that they're afraid of in that school environment, it could be a teacher, it could be another faculty member, it could be who knows what that is. So it's about creating that physical security. Again, on that same thing, let's relate it to that. I love you no matter what. They have to have that feeling that they belong there, that um, there is that I'm accept like I'm here in this environment and it's okay. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be accepted, which we'll go to the next one, which is actually acceptance, but they have this place of belonging. It's feeling of tribe, I guess, in a lot of ways that they need. And school community can do that for a child. But again, some, some schools do it really well and other schools fall short. And what works for one kid is not going to necessarily work for another, which is why it's so important that you find the right school for your child, because one family can say that a school is amazing and gives their child that sense of security and that child feels great. But the kid next door may fall short from that security for whatever reason, whether it's not feeling like they mesh with the other people who go to school there or a personal reason of some sort. So. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I When I think of schools and I think of the first part of security, you know, that kind of physical security, you mentioned obviously keeping the, the campus secure, but I also think of things like bullying policies, right? And advocating yes. for creating ways to manage any bullying situations, creating reporting, creating um, action plans if there is any bullying occurring and that kind of thing. And then when I think of the second part of security, I think of the the fear of failure and the being able to allow our kids to fail. And I'm doing fail in kind of air quotes here safely, right? If you think of like the youngest kid trying to write and being, they are scared of writing the wrong thing. And it's really creating a safe space for them to try, even if they are misspelling and the teacher being very supportive of that or creating after school programs that allow students to test out their creativity or, um, you know, in an art program or even some physical activity, whether it's a sport in an environment where the PTA, PTO coaches, whoever is running that program is supportive and does not shine a light on what a child may feel is a failure or an inadequacy. So is, am I getting that right? Am I, are those good examples? Absolutely. No, it's beautifully said and exactly what I'm trying to get at. It's, that's the kind of thing that you're looking for, for your school system to do for you or for your child. And it does, it's all the way from policy to teacher interaction. It really hits everything within the school that the kid is being immersed into. So it's not just policy and it's not just inside the classroom. I just want to make that clear because it is a, a really umbrella type of feeling 
that is going to take different facets in order to fulfill that security need. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned security flows right into acceptance. So why don't we go there next? Tell us about how we define acceptance as a child's basic need. Now, acceptance and security are really, really close, but I separate them because there is a tiny bit of a difference there. And to me, I feel like that difference is pretty significant. So when I say that a child feels like they need to be accepted is it goes back to they they want to know that whatever, whoever they choose to become, whatever they do, they're going to have a place, right? It's that feeling of I, I'm okay here. And it's more than security. It really is a true acceptance. The best way I could describe it is probably to give you um, an example. Let's say you have a child that identifies with the LGBTQ community. Okay. In that instance or that circumstance, um, they may feel secure in their school. Like, all right, I know no one's going to beat me up here. And I know that the admin has my back, but I also know that they really don't want me here. They'd rather not deal with me. That's acceptance that you need to have, have that feeling that you're accepted in this school. Otherwise that school still doesn't feel very good to you. Does that make sense? How that sentiment feels? Yeah. It's almost like the, um, the icing somebody out by omission, right? It's the, the, um, inability or not inability, but the, the lack of fully including, but instead just kind of putting blinders on and not paying attention to whatever that category of student is that that student feels that they are a part of. And I say the LGBT community because I feel like that's a real obvious one, but this can go to so many different things. Let's say I'm a gifted student and okay, I understand that the school really maybe perhaps wants me here because I'm, I'm very talented in what I do, but I also don't feel like my teacher specifically wants to take the extra time to diverse the curriculum or challenge me because that's a lot of extra work for him or her. So again, it's a cultural thing that goes on many different levels. But if that child doesn't feel comfortable in the classroom, maybe they feel okay in the whole school, but not in the classroom. It's the same type of thing. And we, the, the goal again is to have our children really feel like they can reach full potential, right? That's our goal. And again, if one of these needs aren't being met, then that's how you see these kids kind of fall short. Now, on the other hand of that, some of the school doesn't really have a lot of power in that children also need to feel accepted within their peer group. If you have a child that doesn't feel accepted in their peers, and that has nothing really to do with how safe the school is, that school wants them there, they're trying to challenge them academically, they support them if they identify, whatever, but now they don't have any friends, they don't feel like they have a tribe, they don't have their little click group especially when they are becoming emerging teenagers and developmentally appropriately separating from their family and looking for that peer group as a support system. That's so like, I mean, that's a classic teenager thing. Every teenager, that's what they're doing. They're trying to separate bonds with family and find their place in the world, but they still have to have somebody to lean on. Who do they go to? Peers, of course. And that's how important peers are to them. 
But if they don't have that group to lean on that makes them feel like they're a part of their, their little tribe, what do they do? They start to spiral. You see kids doing self-harm. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of suicide even to do to that. Um, and, not, and especially if they're getting bullied and not feeling accepted. So it's massively important and is different than security. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Actually, when I think about, you know, over the last year, year and a half, there's been a lot of talk on a national stage about diversity, right? And I think of that as having two parts. It is diversity, but it's also inclusion. And this is about inclusion and it is about teaching our children how to not just be kind, because being kind can be the blinders on and like, oh, I'm nice to you, but that doesn't mean I'm including you. It's that next step of how to form those meaningful relationships across a diverse group of people. And to your point, it's not just racial diversity or, or some diversity that we talk about again on the national stage. It could be my school only has sports after school programs and I'm an artsy student. And so what that's saying to me is that art isn't valued here. Therefore, I am not valued here. Therefore, I don't have like my little place. And so that makes sense to me as very different than security, which is really more about feeling confident about failure. This is more about finding your place and knowing that your place, what you identify with is valued within this school community. That's it. Yep. That's it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Have you seen some effective ways that, that schools have ensured this inclusion and acceptance as part of their either curriculum or um, outside of school activities? Usually what good uh, school systems um, would do to make sure that their their population feels accepted is to allow them to have input, allow them to create their own um, groups. Like if you want, um, if a child wants to start a whole, you know, Spanish club after school because they're really into languages, let them. That's usually a good way for a lot of school systems to take this acceptance part and let them go with it, allow them, let them have that space to flourish and create their, their tribe, even if, um, in a way, I guess, so they're, they're facilitating it. They're encouraging it. They're saying, yes, I see your idea. I hear you. Let's encourage that and help you create that space so that you can feel good here. That's what you're saying when you support those kind of clubs. That makes a lot of sense. And then what about power that, you know, power is such an interesting word because I think it can be used in a negative way, in a positive way, in very different ways. There's different types of power. So tell me more about how you're using it here in with respect to child's basic needs. Yeah. So this is probably the most misunderstood one, but I don't know how else to explain it. So I call it power. So as your child gets older, they want to know that they matter in the world. Okay. They want to know that they have an influence, that their existence has a place, um, that people um, would miss them if they were gone, that they have a sense of purpose in the world. Um, They want to know that their choices even have consequences. Okay, when all of this is really rooted in this fundamental need of having some sense of power over your environment, Um, if a child feels powerless, like I'll do something and there is no consequence to it. So then 
it, they start to get this attitude. Well, then it doesn't matter. Or if they don't feel seen, like they are trying to cause a commotion and nobody's listening, then they feel like they have no power. Then it's like, well, what's the point? This is really, really a dangerous one. You have to give children a sense of power, a sense of that they have control over their environment. Again, again, if they don't have any um, choices in their education and what is being presented to them and how they what anything in that school environment, if they don't have any choices at all and they're just powerless and they're just kind of going through the system and then they feel powerless. And the scary part about this is powerless turns to hopelessness. Hopelessness turns into depression. Depression turns into self-harm and self-harm can lead to suicide. So I know that sounds like a very quick domino effect, but I'm telling you, it is a very quick domino effect. It actually happens. I see it time and time again. And again, it starts with that feeling of doesn't even matter. Who cares? Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about what I'm doing. Nobody cares about what I said. Nobody can see me. Nobody can hear me. They have to know that they matter in the world. And the best way and most easiest way to give anyone a sense of power is to allow them to have a voice or a choice, either one of those, a voice to be heard or a choice to have. Um, And I think that this is where we as families and as school systems can really allow our children to have that sense of power, which then trickles into the acceptance part and again, the security part. And just like our last example of, hey, allow those students out there who want to form clubs to form those clubs to support them. Because again, you're saying, I hear you. I want to support you in that. So yeah, let's let's take that choice and let's help you do it. Um, But that's another reason why we have good structure in our school that, hey, if you don't act appropriately by these rules, there are consequences to them. There wasn't any consequences. Not only does that hurt the security, the number one thing, but it also makes that kid feel like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) So the consequences part of having those boundaries are still really important and actually creates that sense of security that the kids need. That makes a lot of sense. And this one's pretty fascinating to me because there has been a lot of talk about how suicide rates are up for children. And also the interplay of social media here. And if you think about how you just described this powerlessness, I don't matter, there's no purpose. You know, you post your picture on social media, you don't get the number of likes that you think you should get. All of a sudden you start feeling like you don't matter very quickly. It's something that's, you know, very different from a generation ago where you didn't get that immediate feedback on your your place in the world, if you will. Um, Not that I believe that social media is actually reflective of your place in the world, but I think that as a teenager, that's the one way you're measuring it. And it's something that's like right there is really, really dangerous because it also plays into acceptance. If I'm not getting the amount of likes that I want, I'm not feeling accepted. Now I'm feeling like people don't really like me. And so there's there's a twofold on that one. That's scary, which is why social media is so influential to these teenagers. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I think if you look back at our school's goal of, you know, furthering our child's education, but their social and emotional growth as well, I think there's a lot of opportunities there to advocate for 
um, policies in this area and or education around social media so that children are not left to navigate that all on their own. I think that there's an opportunity there to to educate them um, in in social media and have a balanced view of it. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of these, um, the symptoms of not having security, acceptance or power, and especially the power piece um, comes out in children acting out or um, trying to get attention by doing something maybe extreme, whether it's even self-harm kind of is a could be could possibly be an extreme thing to say, help me or getting into trouble or stealing or whatever that might be. The acting out, they'll start to pull away in their hopelessness. That's a very scary sign, but it, it is. They'll pull away. Um, also, these kids are developing high anxiety because these three needs are not being met. And as I'm saying this out loud, I mean, it just hurts my heart because just like you said, all these things, anxiety, acting out and self-harm are all on the rise. And I have to ask, what is it that our school systems and our families are not doing to fulfill these needs that are so important that could help alleviate some of these problems? As we mentioned, kids spend, you know, half of their day, even more sometimes at schools. So teachers and administrators are probably like the front line of defense of recognizing some of these warning signs. Um, What are some of the warning signs that teachers or administrators should be on the lookout for when a child is having issues or not getting their needs met at school? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, I mean, it's that high anxiety. It's the pulling away. It's the acting out. But also some of them are trying to just tell people. And I think we just need to listen and maybe they're not telling their teachers or an adult, maybe they're telling their friends, but when school systems can create um, a system where friends can uh, call into a network, let's say that's anonymous and be able to express concerns about a friend or even an acquaintance that they see is struggling. Those things tend to work really well. Um, Each state in the United States tends to have like this kind of call line usually that is advertised, especially in the high schools Um, here in Colorado. I think it's called safe to tell. I don't know what it is over there where you're at, but those programs should be definitely promoted because they give that safe space. And if you don't have that, then how can we create that for our children so they can reach out um, and express their concerns and have somebody listen without feeling like they're tattletaling on their friends, because again, they don't want to lose their own acceptance in their tribe. They don't want to lose that. That's what's scary about telling on somebody. They could lose that security that they've already established within their system. And they don't want to lose that stuff, even though they're trying to help somebody else. So to make it anonymous or to make it a safe space where kids can at least feel like they can express themselves is really, really important. But going back, I'm sorry to, I've got a little sidetracked there to like warning signs, <laughs> like, <laughs> like warning signs. Um, but, you know, not, not engaging, um, just completely. I've, I've seen so many times in my own classroom, I, I get a kid that is doing well. And then all of a sudden they, they just, their grades start to fall short or they're just distant in class. 
And that comes down to teachers really being able to recognize that, but they just become very distant and maybe they're just like kind of looking off. Um, late assignments, all of a sudden deciding that, you know what, I just don't want to do that sport anymore. And they're not replacing it with something else. Um, Usually if somebody wants to change a sport or an activity, they change it. They don't just drop it all together. So I would look at signs like that. Like, why is it that you're not doing what you used to love? What is it about that, that, that you're, that's going on? Why aren't you replacing it with something different? Those are things I guess I would look for. I really like the idea of anonymous idea submissions. That, that way a kid feels secure. And like you said, they're not putting themselves out of the group and they're not calling their group out of not getting what they need. What are some of the other ways that teachers and administrators can support students' needs? Well, providing stability and predictability is also really huge. So what I mean by that is when they have a stable schedule um, and schedules, (laughs) that kind of predictability and schedules, all of this creates a lot of security for a child. When everything is predictable, I know exactly what's going to happen if I break this rule. Okay. Now I have a choice. Am I going to break the rule or not? Am I going to take that risk? When you don't have concrete and really visible rules and boundaries, that's when kids will start to push it and not really feel secure and they don't really understand their environment and now things feel confusing. So to be really, really clear with uh, boundaries that your school has, the rules, um, being very, very predictable and the consequences um, and then having that stable environment. Right now, it's been really, really difficult for kids, right, with the pandemic because there is no stability and there is no predictability. What does that do? It creates a lot of anxiety in our children. Couple that with the fact that they can't go and be social the way they need because they're trying to find these tribes that they're trying to develop because they're social emotionally ready for that. And now we're saying, nope, you can't hang out with your friends. I'm sorry. I mean, this is why we're having so much trouble with our teens right now in this moment. But again, once this alleviates and hopefully we'll go back to normal at some point, we still need to create that sense of stability and to have that consistent schedule where the kids just, they know, they know what's going to happen to them today. It creates that security that they really, really, really need. Um, another thing that I think teachers can do is not only be really observant and obviously try to create those bonds with, with students. It's so important to give them that um, sense of, of acceptance and security in the classroom. It's okay to make a mistake here. It's okay to take risks. I'm going to be here to support you and lift you up if you're not successful. We can try it again. We can work on this together. We're going to figure these answers out. Teachers creating that sense um, in their little classroom environment could be super key to saving a child's um, just their social emotional support as they get older. Because if they don't get that at home, then they're really going to crave it in the classroom. So teachers doing that. Um, one of the things that I feel like the most common mistakes that teachers make and parents too, for this matter, is they overreact when a child makes a bad choice. Now, children are going to make bad choices <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like it's going to happen. So The common mistake, though, is that especially parents, but sometimes teachers, too, they overreact when the bad choice is made. Why did you do that? Oh, my gosh. Come on. You're smarter than that. What's going on? 
And really that's all pretty detrimental to the overall goal of trying to create the security and the acceptance. So instead, because if you've established these clear boundaries, like I've mentioned before, and the clear rules, then the consequences should also be very clear and should also be much more presented in a, hey, let's learn from this experience. And yes, you have a consequence because you made a choice. That's what happens. But it's administered in a matter of fact way. Take it when it's, you know, this is how we're going to learn from it. What can we do better next time? But it's all done calmly versus emotionally. And that's really hard to separate because we're humans. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And that that um, sort of provides the foundation for kids taking risks. And in this case, you know, they took the wrong risk. Um, but it was still a risk to, you know, go against the rule that they knew was in place. Um, but I, I like that taking the emotion out of it and having a measured reaction and focusing on the what can we learn from this is, is great. If you think of other parents in the school community, whether that be PTAs, PTOs, or potentially even other parents, you know, in parenting all the children, you know, when they're volunteering in a classroom, for example, what can they do to help ensure that children's needs are met? I think it's really easy and very overlooked that all those parents and people could play into creating bonds with children, even if it's on a one-on-one on level and not, not just a whole classroom, you know, to take a child and really try to develop and foster a relationship. It's one person at a time kind of thing, kind of mentality, but to play into that work on using love languages in order to fulfill these three needs, because really that's how people are going to accept it the best. And um, it is by Dr. Chapman that I'm talking about the five love languages. Um, And the easiest one of those for, I think, adults and, you know, that are supervising, whether it's a teacher or a PTA or whatever, is words of affirmation to keep saying to these kids, Yes, I hear you. What a great thing you did today. I really saw that you did that. Um, Those playing into their love language and being able to express that you care in a way that a person understands best can be very, very impactful. I like that. I think that's great advice and is something as a parent volunteer, you don't often think about the impact that you could have on any individual student. But I think using those words of affirmation is something that it's pretty easy to do. And if parents keep it top of mind, I think they can have a really big impact. As you think about this topic as a a whole, any last words or pieces of advice to teachers, administrators, and and school organization leaders? Um, I think it's just mainly that these, this is the goal. We, once we, these three needs are filled so much more can trickle into so much more goodness that these are just fundamental. And there's so many ways that a community could get together and brainstorm how they're going to fill these needs. And there's millions of ways to do it. There's not one right answer and there's not one wrong answer. And I think that's really important to 
just to mention as we're going into this and and schools are hopefully trying to to fill these needs. Absolutely. You have given us so much great advice here. I mean, we've talked about the three needs of children in security, acceptance and power, what those are. Um, and how we can support those. As a teacher, you can really listen to your students, provide them with a safe space, creating bonds with them, and support making mistakes and taking risks, as well as focusing on inclusion uh, of the children in your classroom. As an administrator, you can provide training uh, for your teachers in this area, review your school policies with these three needs in mind, and ensure there's accountability on these policies, as well as providing a stable and predictable school environment. And as parent leaders or parent volunteers, providing a broad set of extracurricular activities, advocating at the federal level for legislation that supports these needs, creating bonds with children in your school and using words of affirmation are some really great ways that we can impact our children's lives for the positive. Our overall goal is to further these children's education, advocate for them, and ultimately grow them into amazing adults. And I think by meeting these three needs, we can really go a long way in doing that. So thank you, Christina, for being here today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. This show has been brought to you by K-12 Clothing. K-12 Clothing is a PTA dad-created business focused on providing high-quality school apparel while increasing access to educational resources through fundraising in schools. Learn more at k12clothing.com. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, we share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible, and we'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room.